Good evening, everyone. We are filming again in our um, series on the coronavirus. Uh, much has happened, but um, there's a Bible story I want to share with you tonight, as well as um, some prophetic implications of what is going on. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. I ask in a very special way, Lord, that you empty me of self. Lord, we do not want to hear my words. We want to hear your words. Speak through me, Lord. Fill me with your Holy Ghost. And Lord, allow your word to come alive. Lord, breathe the Holy Spirit on this experience. And Lord, allow the Holy Spirit to bring prophetic insight. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to start in the book of 2 Kings chapter 6. Our topic tonight is spiritual distancing. Spiritual distancing, COVID-19, pandemic at the door, spiritual distancing. In, in 2 Kings chapter 6, starting at verse 24, is one of the interesting stories of the Old Testament. It's a gruesome story, almost like it's out of some sci-fi horror movie. Verse 24, and it came to pass after this, that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his hosts and went up and besieged Samaria. Verse 25 says, And there was a great famine in Samaria. And behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver and a fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. To give you some background, just a few chapters earlier, Naaman, um, was diagnosed with leprosy, and the prophet was able to heal him. The next chapter over, the, uh, Elisha has to deal with the fact that he is surrounded by the Assyrian army, and he shows his servant all of the fiery armies of God surrounding uh, the Assyrian army. It's a cool story because Elisha allows them to be blinded and then walks them back home, basically, or walks them back away from his home, and has the king feed his own enemies. The Bible says that they never, the bands of those Assyrians never bothered him anymore. After that, though, the king of Assyria reorganizes his armies and comes and he attacks and besieges Samaria. He attacks and besieges for so long that famine sets in and it gets to the point where a donkey's head is selling for a fortune. A donkey's head for food. Now, you would realize that a donkey is unclean, and they're paying here what would probably be today hundreds of dollars for something unclean. In fact, it's so bad that they are paying high prices, five pieces of silver, to eat dove's dung. I'm not even going to break that down any further into modern-day English, except to say you really don't want to pay for that pate. And so... Here they are in the middle of a terrible, terrible famine. People are eating what they would otherwise never eat. And it's like what we're doing, going through now with this, with this coronavirus. All of a sudden, it's like we're besieged, except there's an invisible enemy. We're all stuck at home, just like they were all stuck in the city. And all of a sudden, uh, the price of simple things seem to be going up. And I don't mean the price in the store, but the price 
of what it would, what we would pay to sit together again in church service or, or to gather in a restaurant. It has gone through the roof. It's almost an impossibility. But, but spiritually, whenever the Bible speaks of famine, one of the things the Bible speaks about, and if you want to correlate this to today, one of the things that's happening is that there is a famine in the land for the word of God. In fact, Amos 8 says that. In Amos 8 and verse 11, behold, the day come The days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from the north, even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. We are living in a time when we have so extracted God's word from our society that when a tragedy and a challenge like the a coronavirus pandemic hits, people don't know where to go for solace. You have people singing, lean on me out their apartment windows, trying to encourage each other. Celebrities trying to sing uh, choir songs on the internet together. Crazy things are happening. But you know what? They can't find the real source of peace. This is a case of spiritual supply and demand. There's a heavy spiritual demand right now. People are trying to make sense of the world coming to an end. There are men right now that don't know what to do because there's no sports on television. Literally, there are people going crazy because there's no basketball, no football, no soccer, nothing to watch. They're watching 10-year-old games right now. But I say this in my sermons a lot. When I was working at the Veterans Hospital in Loma Linda and they were dealing with drug addiction, there was something, and they were recovering addicts in the addiction unit there. One of them, they would chant, and one of the chants, um, they said, God made the human heart so big that only he can fill it. Let me challenge you that part of the reason the world seems so empty right now isn't simply social distancing or the fact that everybody's locked inside. It is because now that man has a chance to hear his own thoughts, he is realizing how empty he is spiritually. In fact, it's interesting, though, even the world, even the planet is resonating like this. The U.S. Geological Survey and other scientists are saying that uh, right now the, it, the earth is so quiet because the cars aren't moving and the planes aren't landing and, and there's so much uh, less trains and so forth going on, so much less building going on, that right now in the world they can hear earthquakes that they otherwise would have to rely on um, probes deep in the earth to pick up. The earth itself is silent. It's like it's empty. And and like that, the human heart, when you get a chance to sit alone, I challenge some of you right now, the emptiness you're feeling isn't because you're not around people. It's because now you have to face the fact that there's a famine in your heart. A famine for the word of God. And one of the things that happens when there's a famine for the word of God, unclean things become expensive. When you're not studying the word of God, you will pay a high price for foolishness and sin. You will pay for a donkey's head and and dove's dung and think you are having a feast. When you're not centered in the word of God. Verse 26 of 2 Kings chapter 6 says, And as the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall, there cried a woman unto him, saying, Help my lord, O king. And he said, if the Lord do not help thee, 
When shall I help thee? Out of the barn floor or out of the wine press? The king of Israel is walking on the wall, surveying the destruction of his kingdom. And as he's walking by in his kingly robes with sadness on his face, a woman cries out and say, oh, Lord, my king, help me. The king's response is is literally um, a small piece of the evidence that shows you why Israel is in the mess it's in in the first place. The king's answer is, if God can't help you, how do you expect me to help you? And literally, the, the world is going that way now. Folk are not looking to God for help. People are looking for the government to fix this. And I'm not saying the government ought not be involved, and I'm not saying the government ought not start figuring some stuff out. But I am saying that the people of God need to remember the promise that David said. David said, I was old and now I am young. David said, I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Are you among the righteous? Because if you're among the righteous, you don't have to worry about what the government's going to do. God will take care of you. King said, listen, if God can't help you, how do you expect me to? Where am I supposed to get some help for you? On the barn floor, the wine press, everything's empty. There's a famine going on. The king is walking, and you can imagine as you watch, and it, you know, it's funny because our current administration was riding high before all of this happened, and then bam, this thing happened. One of the greatest economies, stock market, and all of it gone. And it's changed our country, I believe. I believe here in America, people are kind of coming together because they realize right now, politics is less important right now than surviving and making sure we have an economy afterwards. It's funny how crisis will bring people together. And just like Trump, I'm sure, is looking at what, how, how much he's lost in terms of our economy and our stock markets, this king was walking around looking at how much this famine, this besiegement by the Assyrians was called, the Syrians was causing him to lose. But it's almost like after he says this to the woman, he realizes he needs to pay her some attention. Verse 28, the king said unto her, what aileth thee? What's wrong, woman? She said, this woman said unto me, give thy son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. The solution to the famine, I'm telling you, it's a gory story. This is a gory Bible story here. The solution for these two women was to eat one son one day and one son the next day. Makes no sense to me. Seems like you'd at least wait a few days. Um, but man, horrible story. They, they, she said, we ate one Sunday. We ate one Sunday. Verse 29, and she gets into more detail. She says, so we boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, give thy son that we may eat him. And she have hid her son. Now, again, if you take this into prophecy and apply this to life, what happens when there's a famine for the word of God? What happens when God's word is not law? Parents destroy their children. When God's word isn't what we raise our children on, when they're starving for the word of God, it is like we have cannibalized our children by allowing the world to flood into our homes for our children to be more acquainted with Disney and Marvel than they are with a thus say of the Lord. The second woman hit her child. And this woman is, in, is probably losing her mind because she cheated her on the deal. But there's one other thing that this pandemic is showing and that is if you look at this slide that is that the poor is going to poor suffer more in these crises and this is an opportunity for the church 
There's one um, article here, the, uh, the economic uh, impact of COVID on developing countries and how poor countries, this could actually set developing countries back decades. I mean, if you look at countries in the Caribbean that rely on tourism, no more tourism. Can they survive a half a year with no tourists or all of the money that was being sent back? There's one article uh, on our list on here that says that the, this this um, pandemic threatens to plunge millions in the Arab region into poverty. There's no food security in some of the countries of the Middle East. There's one that shows a picture of a man trying to clean um, uh, a poor neighborhood, a poor area in India, spraying things on the sides. And, and, and we know that India is at high risk where people are in tight quarters, where they're, uh, in those parts of India where there's less sanitation. And that's not just India, that's all over the world. This, this thing is not, it's going to impact us in America. And we are, some of us are upset because we're, we're stuck watching Netflix, but there are parts of the world where this means that there will be no food, where their, where their housing won't be for sure, where, where people are going to die and not even have access to healthcare. This thing is, is serious and the poor are going to suffer more. And let me say it again. One of the reasons that's relevant is because it means there's opportunity for the church. In the United States, it's the same thing. This article, coronavirus will have long-lasting impacts on the U.S. healthcare system, and the poorest will suffer most. We're seeing that in inner-city America. One of the reasons when we look at New York and Los Angeles that this thing is terrible, so terrible in some of those areas, it is the high concentration of the poor in neighborhoods that have substandard housing, um, shared ventilation, um, higher levels of smoking and access to, to uh, a lack of access to healthy foods. All of these things make you a, a better host for the virus. If your immune system isn't as strong and the poor living in overcrowded situations with, with a bad environment, the virus will eat them up and, and infect and destroy faster because they don't have the, 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 the immunological resilience they would have had if they had open space and fresh air and access to fruits and vegetables, if the smoking rates were lower. All of these things, and the air quality was better, all of these things are going to impact. And all of these things we knew about before the coronavirus. In some ways, this coronavirus is going to expose inequality in the world and here in America. Some parts of the country you're going to see where the devastation is the greatest when this is all over. People are going to be amazed at how socioeconomics played a role in this virus and in this disease. Second Kings chapter six and verse 30 says, and it came to pass when the king heard the words of the woman. So the king is walking on his wall. This woman gives him this morbid story of devouring her own child with another woman and, and how upset she is. When the king hears the story, the Bible says that he rent his clothes and he passed by upon the wall. So he stands up on it, he rips his clothes, and when the people looked up, they realized that underneath his clothes, he had sackcloth upon his flesh. As if the king knew how bad it was, he wanted to protest, but he was still trying to put on ears by having on a kingly robe over a sackcloth. He was trying to cry out to God, but he didn't want the world to know he was worried. And there's some of us, as this pandemic rolls on and as life gives us our challenges, it's almost like we're trying to wear our kingly robes and keep the sackcloth on the inside. Let me tell you something. Put the sackcloth on the outside. Cry out to God and let him know what you need. Then the king does something interesting. In 2 Kings chapter 31, 
Second Kings chapter six and verse 31. It says, then he said, go do so and more also to me. If the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat will stand on him this day. The king does something crazy. He blames Elisha. And he says he, and he wants to get Elisha for what's happened. Elisha seems to have nothing to do with what's going on, except that Elisha would point out the sins of the king and of the kingdom. And so what happens is, don't miss this church, when there is crisis, there's often a scapegoat. And when the crisis is of a moral nature, when the crisis is of, of grand nature, when it's a, a something that man can't fix, he will find someone to blame. And often it will be those who are keeping the commandments and the laws of God. Those who by their lifestyle, less than by their words, are pointing out sin. So he says, listen, I got to get Elisha. Verse 32, but Elisha sat in his house. I like Elisha. Elisha's not panicked. He's at home, quarantined with his friends. Because the Bible says that his eldest sat with him. So Elisha's at home just chilling. The king sent a man from before him. So the king sends someone. But ere the messenger came to him, before the messenger gets to Elisha, Elisha, remember, Elisha's the one who knew all the things that the, the king uh, the king of Syria was doing, so he could always tell him where to go. So the king of Syria got so mad, he sent someone to go find him in Dothan, remember? And he found him in Dothan and sent the army. Now, you can't sneak up on the prophet. I don't know why they keep trying. He knows you're coming. That's why he's the prophet. <laughs> and so he, he sends his messenger. Before he gets there, Elisha turns to the elders and he says, see how this son of a murderer has sent to take away my head. And he's sitting there with his friend, the elder's like, look, the king is sending someone to kill me. Cool, calm, and collected. No panic in Elisha. Then he says, look, when the messenger cometh, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him. He says, when the messenger gets here, hold on to the messenger. Verse 33, and while he yet talked with him, behold, the messenger came down unto him. And he said, behold, this evil is of the Lord. What should I wait for the Lord any longer? The message for the king is what's happening in our nation is because of God. And what the king is saying to Elisha is, listen, you've been trying to get us to follow God. I'm not following God. God is the reason we're in this mess. Why should I wait on the Lord any longer? That's what the king of Israel is saying to the prophet of Israel. And in some, let me tell you something, church, that's what's about to start happening now. As these calamities begin to pile up, the spirit of prophecy warns us that we, as I'll read in a second, the spirit of prophecy warns us that we will, those who have stood on the side of God will begin to take the blame of the world. In 2 Kings 7 and verse 1, then Elisha said, hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Then a Lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make the windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not eat thereof. Elisha, when the, when the messenger comes, holds him and says to him, don't worry, 
I know you're one of the king's strong advisors. I know the king leans on you. I want to let you know that this time tomorrow, they won't be selling a head of a donkey for five or six hundred dollars. This time tomorrow, they're going to be selling real food. They're going to be selling selling a barley and fine flour for just a shekel. Uh, they're going to be food is going to be cheap. And the and and man that the king sends said, "Listen, that's impossible. Even if God was to open the windows of heaven, that could never happen." Let me tell you something. Do never let the devil allow you to determine your future based on your current circumstances. You've got to learn to see beyond the veil. Just like Elisha had to do with his servant when they were surrounded by the Syrian army. And he said, Lord, take away the scales from his eyes so that he can see. And he saw that the fiery chariots of the Lord and the angels all around him. It's the same principle here. Elisha could see what was about to take place. So Elisha is prophesying that, listen, as tough as it is today, tomorrow it's going to be a whole lot better. And let me say that to the church of God. It might be tough for you tonight, wherever you are, today, wherever you are. If you hold on to God tomorrow, you'll be buying a shekel. (laughs) For a shekel, you'll be able to buy a measure of fine flour. No matter how terrible life is today, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. The Christian ought not fear. Ellen White says it like this. In in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 21, she says, uh, chapter 21, she says, from a human point of view, the outlook for the spiritual regeneration of the nation was as hopeless as is the outlook today before God's servants who are laboring in the dark places of the earth. She says that it was just as, it seemed just as impossible. When you looked at what Israel was going through then, it looks like how we feel today when we look at parts of the world where you say, North Korea, they'll never become Christian. You look at parts of the Middle East, you say, the gospel will never be preached there. Ellen White says it, it looked just as impossible for the servant then to see it as it is for some of us to see it now. But then she says, But the church of Christ is God's agency for the proclamation of truth. She is empowered by him. She's empowered by him to do a special work. And if she is loyal to God, obedient to his commandments, there will dwell within her the excellency of divine power. If she will be true to her allegiance, there is no power that can stand against her. The forces of the enemy will be no more able to overwhelm her than is the chaff to resist the whirlwind. There is before the church the dawn of a bright, glorious day if she will put on the robe of Christ's righteousness, withdrawing from the allegiance of the world. She goes on to say, God calls upon his faithful ones who believe in him to talk Courage to those who are unbelieving and hopeless. As we go through this pandemic, when you talk to your neighbors, uh, the spirit of prophecy says we ought to be speaking courage to those who are unbelieving and hopeless. The, if church folk are running around more afraid of the virus than folk who don't know God, what example are we setting? Seek strength from God, she says, the living God. I like how she says that. It's a simple sentence, but Ellen White says seek strength from God, the living God. 
show an unwavering, humble faith in his power and his willingness to save. When in faith we take hold of his strength, he will ch- uh, strength. He will change wonderfully. Ch- uh, he will change wonderfully. Change the most hopeless, discouraging outlook. He will do for the glory of his. He will do this for the glory of his name. I remember when I was a kid. I, I say this in my sermon sometimes, and. We were afraid of what was then called the USSR, the Soviet Union. And I remember being in school and, and you know, we would have discussions on nuclear threats and, and, a, and the Cold War and, and, you know, the Soviets were going to come and get us. But God had other plans for the Soviet Union, didn't he? What seemed an impossibility, just as impossible as it might have seemed for them to come through this famine in uh, ancient Israel, or just as it seems impossible for us to uh, recover as a church from out of this uh, pandemic, it seemed impossible that the Soviet Union would ever come to know God. The official religion of the Soviet Empire was atheism, and it was a closed, shut world. Lenin and Stalin, powerful leaders, It spread to Mao in China. And to this day, China, uh, North Korea, and even to some extent Cuba, all still under the the vice grip of communism. But the, the greatest of all of them was the Soviet Union. And yet it was almost like in one day, the entire Soviet Union collapsed without one shot being fired. Let me tell you something, the day will come when the missionaries will walk the streets of North Korea. The day will come when in China, the gospel will be proclaimed more freely. God is going to open up an opportunity around the world for this gospel to be preached unto all the world as a witness, and then shall the end come. It will happen because it must happen prophetically. So it doesn't, you don't have to be panicked or afraid of, 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 so let's make it more personal because you've got a relative that you love that is no longer uh, in the way because you have someone you think is outside of the reach of God's mercy and grace. Let me tell you, it's not impossible for God, even though it might be impossible for men. We've got to keep lifting them up. Elisha never gave up on Israel, even though the king of Israel did. Just as the king turned on Elisha, I warn you that the world is going to turn on us. There's a prophetic message in that little story, and there's a lot more to the story. I'll try and get back to it at the end. But there's a prophetic message in that story. Revelation 12 and verse 5, And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wrought with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Just as the king of Israel, who was supposed to be a God-fearing king, came after the man of God, we live in a time when someone who also claims to be God-fearing is going to come after the people of God. When you read the commentaries on this passage of scripture, we believe and understand that this serpent that cast out this, 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 the, this mouth out of his mouth, this water as a flood came, that this is not just false doctrine. This is also an attack 
on those who were believing that would stretch through the 42 month period of prophecy that during that time that we now call the dark ages, those who were believers in God would feel the full brunt of the forces of the church at that time. The question is, will that happen again? In the last days, as we look at this crisis, will that happen again? Well, this book is entitled The Shock Doctrine by Naomi Klein. I read it a long time ago. I have a sermon I did on it a while ago, but it reminded this, what's happening now reminded me of it. In this book, she makes the point that when these tragedies and calamities of natural origin happen in the world, there are those who profit off of it or move their agendas forward. She talked about um, Katrina in New Orleans and how it moves certain things forward. She talked about how the, the, the big earthquake and tsunami that happened on Boxing Day, December 26th in the early 2000s, that, uh, that caused all that damage all throughout Southeast Asia, how it moved fishermen uh, villages away and big hotels came in after. The shock doctrine says that when a shock is felt in the world, there are those who come in and capitalize on it. The question for you right now is, if tragedy creates change and opportunity, what is the tragedy of this pandemic going to cause the world to try and do to move something forward? What power is going to try and change the world? Well, some examples. On 9-11... As terrible as that was, one of the things that happened pretty quickly was the Patriot Act. I've heard people say the Patriot Act was such a thorough and long and complete uh, document that there's almost no way it could have been written between the time of 9-11 and its release. It had to almost have been written before, as if someone was waiting with the document for the calamity to happen and then drop the Patriot Act. And you can, you can look at how big it is and look at how much time they had and see what you think. 2008, the housing market melts down and everyone begins to lose their property. What actually happens? You would think the banks would have gotten weaker. Instead, the banks got stronger. They got all kinds of uh, support. They got um, all of the um, bailout money. And I don't think one person went to prison or maybe one person went to prison. Uh, out of all of those banks with all of the shenanigans they were doing, they were made stronger rather than weaker. What will happen because of the coronavirus? Tragedy creates change. That's the shock doctrine. It moves someone along a certain uh, uh, trajectory. Ellen White says this because one of the big things that, that there is, is the environment. And I heard Professor Walter Weitz say this. We were talking in a conversation. He mentioned this. And I'm glad I was able to find this passage out of the, out of the Great Controversy, page 589. Ellen White says, Satan works through the elements also to garner his harvest of unprepared souls. He has studied the secrets of the laboratories of nature and he uses all his powers to control the elements as far as God allows. When he, has, when, he was, when he was suffered to afflict Job, how quickly flocks and herds, servants, houses, children were swept away, one trouble succeeding another as in a moment. It is God that shields his creatures and hedges them in from the power of the destroyer. Ellen White makes it clear. When Job, when, when God gave permission to, to to the devil to mess with Job, he used nature to do it. We should not be surprised at the natural calamities that are coming. And here's the interesting thing. These natural calamities are going to come and they're going to say, we've got to save the world. Now, don't get me wrong. Man has contributed by polluting the world and done a lot of bad stuff. But it's all a play. In fact, Ellen White goes on. She says this, but the Christian world has shown contempt for the law of Jehovah. And the Lord will do just what he has declared that he would. 
Here's what God is going to do, why these calamities are going to get worse. Listen to what Ellen White says. He will withdraw his blessings from the earth and remove his protecting care from those who are belling against his law and teaching and forcing others to do the same. Satan has control of all whom God does not especially guard. He will favor and prosper some in order to further his own designs and he will bring trouble upon others and lead men to believe that it is God who is afflicting them. Great controversy, page 589. Spirit of prophecy makes it clear because the Christian world has shown contempt for the law of God because there is not, as, as, as Abraham asked the pre-incarnate Christ, if there were just 10 in in Sodom, would you save it? Because there's not enough on the earth. God's spirit is being withdrawn. Not enough righteous left on the earth. And all of a sudden, the devil is going to seem to gain more control. And what is he going to do? The devil plays people against each other. Some will be elevated and they will profit off of the destruction. Others he will send to Christless graves. And people will blame God for all of the problems. She then says, while appearing to the children of men as a great physician who can heal all their maladies, Satan coming as an angel of light, impersonating Christ, she says, he will bring disease and disaster until populous cities are reduced to ruin and desolation. Even now, Satan is at work. He is at work in accidents and calamities by sea and by land in great conflagrations in fierce tornadoes and terrific hailstorms, in tempests, floods, cyclones, tidal waves, and earthquakes, in every place and in, and in a thousand forms, Satan is exercising his power. He sweeps away the, the ripening harvest and famine and distress follow. He imparts, listen to this, talking about the coronavirus now, he imparts to the air a deadly taint and thousands perish by the pestilence. These visitations are to become more and more frequent and disastrous. Destruction will be upon both man and beast. The earth mourneth and fadeth away. The haughty people do languish. The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinances, broken the everlasting covenant. Isaiah 24, 4 and 5 quoted there on Great Controversy, page 589. I am telling you that what's happening in the world is also a product of the of God with withdrawing his protection because man has turned on him like Israel turned on God and created that famine. That's what's happening in the world now. And we as believers need to draw close to God because as as the spirit of God is withdrawn from this planet, the devil is only going to get more powerful. His ability to create natural disaster and disease will only become more profound. This is why our health message is so important. This is why we must know the prophecies. This is why country living is something we all need to begin to contemplate. If you're not out in the country yet, you've got to start thinking about how am I going to get there? As this pandemic spreads around the world, you're going to see that in fact, the cities are going to be hardest hit. That's a warning. For the children of God who know uh, that there's a time coming when we got to get out of the cities. Just like when Titus, the, 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 the general of Rome, uh, surrounded Jerusalem 40 years after Christ had predicted it and then withdrew. And all of the people of God in the city of Jerusalem knew it was time to get out of the city. Right now, I believe this pandemic is a warning. Maybe it's time we pack up and get out of the cities. 
And this article, um, this is from the, uh, the Friday cover, of, I believe this is of Time magazine. The corona, it says the coronavirus will change the world permanently. Here's how. A crisis on this scale can reorder society in a dramatic ways, for better or for worse. Here are 35 big thinkers' predictions of what is to come. And one of the things that they say, and this is a, you should get the article and read it. One thing they say is that government is only going to get bigger and more powerful now. In fact, we've watched around the world where dictators have consolidated their power because of this pandemic. It is, it is shrinking down, like Revelation 17, where it speaks of the, the 10 horns, these 10 powers, shrinking down the world so there are only a few uh, sources of power and now there's going to be the cry of the little horn focus on the environment they're going to start talking more and more about the common good science to save uh, society three things focus on the environment the common good there's going to be more and more talk hey we've got to do what's good for everybody we got to do what's good for everybody you should do what is best for the common good and they will remove the rights of the individual for the common good. Science to save society. But churches are in the hot seat. South Korea is to act against churches for defying the, the, the COVID-19 guidelines. In fact, in South Korea, there are churches that are being sued. Despite a ban on social gatherings to send COVID-19 spreading, Protestant churches went ahead with services. The government of South Korea is looking to sue some of those churches. If they can sue you for going to church to keep people from getting sick, if they believe that going to church on the Sabbath will cause calamity and disaster, what do you think is going to happen? Because in Florida, at the mega church, and I don't agree with them going to church when there's a pandemic, I just want you to see how it begins to allow the precedent to be set as to how you react when church people don't do what the government says. That's what's being laid out here, because the churches should be empty because people are going to church and getting the virus. But here it is. Florida mega church pastor arrested for breaching COVID-19 health order. And that was in Florida, here in the United States. In fact, Christianity is seen as antithetical to science now. On multiple, if you look it up, when, they, when Mike Pence was, was given um, the, the role to, to oversee the coronavirus response, which I would have to agree, had to be some better scientists in Washington, D.C. than Mike Pence, I agree. But the attack on Mike Pence is what's interesting. Basically, what they're saying is because he's a Christian, he doesn't believe in science. And this article here, and I believe this, uh, I, I think this one was in, was in one, of the, one of the more liberal publications, it says Trump ripped for putting science denier Mike Pence in charge of coronavirus. The vice president has no medical experience, and that's not the only problem. And then they go through why his beliefs, his Christian beliefs, and I don't agree with everything Mike Pence says, trust me. But I find it a little bit scary when, you, when, when his religion is the test of whether or not he believes enough science. Because all of us who are Christians who believe God created the world, we all would be considered science deniers. But the environment is being impacted. Yes, there's a picture here of the glaciers on the edge. There's a poor polar bear in the middle of a field where you can see the ice is melted. Next to it, you see a picture of the fires in Australia, the kangaroo in the foreground, and the background of, of, of the whole, looks like the whole world is on fire. The environment is being impacted. But, and so... They're going to say, listen, because of what is the environment, it's, it's what we're doing, it's what people are doing. But I challenge you to ask the other tough questions. How are people making more mass shootings happening? And you can see the graph there to the left that there are an increasing number of mass shootings. You can see on the right, North Korea has just tested 
um, some pretty serious um, uh, nuclear uh, capabilities that they have. And they're even in the middle of the pandemic, they're saying they have no cases and they're launching rockets. I don't think that's the environment. The world is in chaos. Here's um, a picture of one of the rec- of a deadly earthquake. Idaho got rocked by a 6.5 earthquake this week. West Texas last week, Croatia's capital in the last few weeks, Salt Lake City, and Puerto Rico still having earthquakes. If you look on the U.S. Geological Society after the big one they had, they're still having 2.9, 2.7 small tremors happening, earthquakes in diverse places. That is all because God's spirit is being removed from the earth and the earth is beginning to rock and reel like a woman in labor. And so what is the solution? A new Sabbath. A Sabbath for the earth and for the poor. The challenge of Pope Francis is a conference that was done. You can see the logo there. They want a Sabbath for the earth and for the poor. Is it going to be the seventh-day Sabbath? Absolutely not. So when you don't partake in that Sabbath to help the poor and the earth, could you be the one called a science denier or being locked up because you're not helping the common good? Here's an article called A New Sabbath out of one of the Catholic uh, magazines. It says celebration of the Sunday Eucharist is the sign of new and everlasting covenant for Christians. And in that article, it goes down and it makes the strong connection between um, uh, the observance of a Sunday Sabbath and the protection of the environment and why that is important. Just like the king of Israel turned on the prophet, so they will pivot and turn on us. This is why Alan White says, as I quoted, our allegiance can't be with the world. If your allegiance is with the world, when the world turns on the church, let me tell you something. We are going to be shocked. That's what Jesus says, uh, and, and, uh, and, your, and your enemies shall be they of your own household. That our own brethren that we've gone to church with, some of them will be the very ones who turn us over to the powers that be. Because when their livelihood is on the line, forget their lives, their livelihood, their way of living, their standard of living is on the line. They will begin to point out people. And if you read when Christianity has been shut down in Europe in the past and other parts of the world, what happens is people become spies against the believers. And that's what's going to happen. Daniel 7, verse 25, and he shall speak, speaking of the little, little horn. And he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws and they shall be given unto his hand until a time of times and a dividing of time. This is what I was talking about. This, 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 this 42-month period of prophecy, the 1290-day prophecy, during that period, all of these things would happen. The question is, will it happen again? Jesus answers that question in Matthew 24 and verse 21. He says, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be, and Except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. For the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. There's a time of trouble coming worse than any that has ever come. And when you see what's happening in a global scale right now, you can imagine that if people thought that by persecuting one group of people, everybody else would be able to go back to Starbucks and to the movies, they would persecute that group. Revelation 13, 4 And five says, and they worship the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worship the beast saying, who is like unto the beast? Who was able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. Same power as the little horn power. It's the same power as the serpent in in Revelation chapter uh, uh, 13, that out of his mouth comes a flood. Same, same power. 
And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue 42 months, the same 1290 uh, year period. And he, verse 6, and he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. How does that happen again? If that's the dark ages, if this is describing the, 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 the power Rome had over the entire world, how does that ever happen again? The Bible explains how it happens again in Revelation 13 and verse 11. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb. And he spake as a dragon. A new power will come. And it will be that power that will usher in the next round. The tribulation that was like never before. And this is our great nation, the United States, whose, whose constitution was divinely inspired and allowed God, uh, God's people from all over the world to find protection as described in Revelation chapter 12 as the woman took the wings like an eagle's and even the, the imagery of the eagle as the symbol of the United States hints to the fact that this desert land over here that was so empty of people, unlike the, the, the lands of Europe where people were able to escape to, to re retain their religious freedom, that one day it will no longer have the two horns like a lamb it will begin to speak as a dragon verse 12 and he exercised all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed how does this beast get back its power to speak as a dragon the dragon speech is persecution it is the laws that allow persecution revelation 15 Just to end with how this thing ends, in Revelation 15, 1, it says, And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. One day probation is going to close, and right now we are dealing with plagues and pestilence, but these are not the seven last plagues. And I saw, as it were, verse 2 of Revelation 15, I saw, as it, as it were, a sea of glass, mingled with fire and them that that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the harps of god and they sing the song of moses and the servant of god and the, and and the and the song of the lamb saying great and marvelous are thy works lord god almighty just and true are, are thy ways thou king of saints verse four who shall not fear thee O Lord, and glorify thy name, for thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. One day, church, every knee will bow, and every tongue confess, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I had somebody reach out to me this week because they lost someone to the coronavirus. An Adventist who lost a very dear Adventist friend, grieving very terribly because of this. And this is the imagery I had to remind them of. That one day, we will have a reunion on the sea of glass. The Christian does not die like the world dies. We don't mourn like the world mourns. Because we have been promised that we will overcome, that we will gain victory over the beast, over his image, 
over his mark and over the number of his name. That one day we will stand on, on the sea of glass and we will have harps in our hand. Not just regular harps. They says they will, we will have the harps of God. And I know if you're like me, you have not one iota of musical skill or talent. But guess what? I'm going to play that harp. I'm going to play that harp like David played it. Because that harp is God's harp. I, I want to believe that the harp itself is alive. That the harp plays along with you. And that we will then begin to sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. We will begin to sing the song of those who have been resurrected. Moses was resurrected. The Lamb was resurrected. And we will no longer have to deal with death like we do now. I know how scary this virus is and this pandemic is. But if you're a Christian, remember, death is not the end for you. He'll protect you from this thing. But I don't want you to be afraid of death. Because this is just the beginning of sorrows. I want when you think about how terrible this pestilence is, this pandemic is, I want you to begin to imagine yourself on a sea of glass holding your harp, singing the song of Moses and the Lamb. That's what I want you to see, church. Because it seems pretty bleak, like a scene out of a sci-fi movie when you drive around. But one day you're going to stand on a sea mingled with fire, a sea of glass. And some of us who have never hit a note in our entire lives are going to sing and shame the best singers that ever walked the earth. And play harps like they've never been played. I want you to be encouraged. And while the world practices social distance, distancing, this sermon is entitled Spiritual Distancing. Don't you spiritually distance yourself from Jesus Christ or from your brothers and sisters. Draw close to your Lord and encourage those that are near you. Because soon Jesus is going to return and we are going home. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word and for your prophecy, for your prophecy and your word are sure. Lord, the world is in distress right now. And Lord, the prophecies are about to become fulfilled. We can see the moves happening rapidly. But Lord God, I want to remind the church tonight of what you said as you walked to your disciples on that ship. Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. All that we see are the storms that remind us that you're about to return. I pray that everyone will be ready when you return. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.